Welcome to Made in Asia, the podcast about entrepreneurs and creators in the experience and transformation economies in Asia. In this first episode, we welcome Berna Lee, a certified meditation instructor based in Hong Kong. Berna helps people transform their lives. Her main personal practice is Shamata Vipashyana. She also has extensive experience in Zazen and Kriya. Previously, she worked in the fine arts in the US and in Beijing. She engages in meditation as a skill that ignites creativity, which inspires a conscious way of life. Berna makes meditation mindfulness accessible for people of all ages, from 4 to 104 years old. So check her out on BernaLee.com. All right, Berna Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Dan. Okay, we're here in Dragon Range. Again, uh, <laughs> fabulous to be here. Thank you and, for coming. Yeah, and... Uh, Today we picked a special setup, obviously. Yes. We'll be talking about meditation, mindfulness. So we have a unique setup in that we're um, adopting sort of a meditational pose. Is that what you yeah, call it? Yeah, yeah. We are having our legs crossed loosely in front of you and just sitting on the floor. So I hope you can sit for two hours <laughs> in this position. Yeah. And do you have to be upright? How is it with your back? I normally hunch over a lot, but uh, well, you have uh, you you can just sit on a cushion, sit mm-hmm. a little bit up. If you have a cushion at home, uh, you can double it up and sit upright, so your back won't be feeling strained, or you won't be like leaning too much backwards, or you know leaning too much forward. Right. Um. So that is a better position instead of sitting flat on the ground. Okay. Should yeah. you consciously stretch your back so you're very upright, or you would you say um, you know whatever's comfortable with the shoulders and? Well, we we usually do it with your front body soft and your back upright. Uh huh. Yeah, so it's not too loose, but also it's not too uptight. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about meditation, where do we start, or where do you start? Uh, you're giving courses, uh, classes, right? Yes. How do you how do you do that? You mean like how did I start it? To become a meditation instructor. Let's talk about it in a minute, but first, like the the steps. Where where will we start? We're going in a meditation session now, not yes. really, but how do we? Where do we start? So in meditation, we are really talking about how to bring our attention back to the present moment. So when you are here on your cushion, we just start by um, sitting on the cushion and start to feel our breath and no matter because there are a lot of different styles in meditation um, generally speaking whichever you are uh, engaging in there are a few very simple steps so first of all you put down your phone your computer and all of those distractions and then come to your cushion sit down and usually you'll have a single point of focusness of a point that you place your attention on, whether it is a sound or uh, a guidance or your breath or a visualization, you know, any anything that the, the style requires, you'll place your attention on it. So say, for example, we're doing it with our breath. So breath, 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 breath. It's very precise. You just put your attention simply on the breath. And then after that, your thoughts might pop up like you might be thinking what's for dinner um is the angle right or you know like a lot of different things will pop up in your mind so in this particular moment notice that you are you start to think your mind starts to be consumed by the past or the future notice it let it go and gently bring your attention back to your breath 
Um, that's so what about does that, letting go. Uh, and what does that achieve once we let go? So once you let go, we can come back to our breath. So you can really try to um, substitute that discursive mind with your breath and let your mind really take some rest. Because without uh, space between ourselves and our thoughts, our emotions and everything around us, you can't really have space to um, to see clearly or to be able to connect with the present moment clearly. Yeah. Right. So that's why we want to connect okay. in the moment. Uh, and there's obviously different levels of proficiency in meditation, I would guess. Mm. Certain people have meditated for many years. Yes. What does that change? So mm, many that listen in, maybe <laughs> beginners, right, have tried a little bit. What happens if you do this for two years, five, ten years? Does that change at all your experience as a for meditation? So scientifically, I think in 2017, there is a research conducted in Stanford by Dr. Sarah Lazar. And what she found out was um, she had a group of people from 20 years old or 18 years old to uh, 50, 60 years old. So this group of people, um, they never tried meditation before. They had no experience in meditation. So what she wants to do is first to scan their brains and see what it's like. Like a CT um, scan, MRI type of thing. Yes, right? yes, mm. yes. So there, what she wants to do is to really compare whether... Uh, a person with meditation practice it has a healthier brain or not. Okay. So with this group of people, they never tried meditation. And during that three months period, uh, every day they will listen to a guided meditation for half an hour or more. And what she found out was after that three months period, even a 50-year-old person or a 60-year-old person, their brain will structurally have changes. Like there will be more gray matter as a matter of fact, gray matter will not increase uh, after 25. It will just decrease. That's why you see old people with like lack of memory and, you know, um, the, the executive function of the brain. It's not as um, nice, like it's not as precise. So uh, what she found out is that through meditation, your focusness will increase and then clarity of mind and like your PFC, like prefrontal cortex and your hippocampus, the gray matter will increase and there is like a structural change in your brain. You'll become healthier. A 60-year-old brain can be as healthy as a 25-year-old brain. If you practice for three months or more, there will be structural change. So that might be... Um, what you were asking, like a meditator for two years or, you know, for three months, I think three months is already a very good uh, place to start if okay. you really want to try to have more calmness, more focus and have a better immune system, better executive function. I think that would be a good way to go. So you can experience change directly after a fairly short period of daily practice mm -hmm. of meditation, right? Yes. So you got to stick to it and it's what, 30 minutes a day or after you said? Preferably, if you could, uh, 30 minutes a day will be very good. But usually, you know, in Hong Kong or any anywhere around the world, we have um, we have so many different things to do every day. And it seems like it's very hard to get like 30 minutes. Get a break, yeah. Yeah, like a break really for ourselves to connect with ourselves. Like even when you're taking a shower, let's say, um, you might be thinking about work. You might be thinking about how to set up the whole thing, you know, like how to edit it. So we are really not 
in the present moment very much. And in meditation, through the breathing technique, we are trying to bring ourselves back at least for 30 minutes a day. But having said that, I would, I would say for the listeners, it's good to start with, say, like, however minutes you have the day that you are conscious about that you are breathing. So whenever you feel um, agitated or feel impatient, just try to bring yourself back to the present moment by asking yourself, are you breathing? And that one minute, two minutes, three minutes or five minutes, it's already good enough to kickstart your practice. And this is better done in the morning or lunchtime or where do you think or before you go to bed or before dinner? I mean, somewhere you got to fit it in. Yes. Is it just a matter of building a routine? Or is there, would you say there's a certain time of day which everybody's got, or, or everybody's got to figure out their own way, right? Um, I would say if you are just starting, it's good to have a routine. But if it's really hard for you to stick to a routine, just like, you know, any time you have you, when you are taking um, um, a tea break at the office, you can you know, do some breathing practices when you are taking your tea or coffee or whatever drinks that you are having, or preferably I would say in the morning and before you sleep, because in the morning, it's a very good practice for me at least to kickstart the day, to set the tone. Because sometimes when I wake up, like before when I didn't really have the routine of waking up, having some breathing practice before I finally get, get up, I would feel very, um, agitated the whole day say like you rush to get up you you um, snooze the the alarm and then walk to the bathroom maybe you get tripped by the carpet you know like the whole day just kind of like sucks but if you start gently easing into the day then you're you're setting the tone for more calmness to come so I would definitely recommend in the morning and frequency it's better than duration so if you you can do it more frequently it's better than you just sit for half an hour every day and force yourself to do it. And you have to have to get out of bed, right? Not lying in bed and sort of. Well, if you um, if you are not very used to meditation, you can also lie in bed. Just do some breathing before you get up. Say like you snooze the button and then you do for eight minutes. Just concentrate on your breath and put your hands on your belly and just feel that belly breath, and then you finally get up and do a little bit more and go brush your teeth, make your tea and, you know, that will be nice. Mindful snoozing. Very good. Yes. Why isn't that no more popular? Yeah. So you uh, set out to make this your um, mission, I guess, and your um, your profession yes. to teach people um, how to meditate. Yes. Bernalee.com, right? This is your platform. Yes. So why, what got you into that sort of uh, path? Obviously, you set up your own business we are fair to say right yes um how did you end up in this well when did you first think i want to become a meditation instructor i think when the first time that i wanted to become a meditation instructor was the time when i just came back to hong kong from um my uh from from a, a business that I, I i an art business that i used to do in mainland china mm. and um, at that time, I felt really burnt out and um, there are a lot of things like personal and work-wise, professional-wise, I just couldn't really, um, I was I was just close to a breakdown. So I just had to take a year break to um, settle down myself and see what I really want to do. 
And during that time when I was taking a break, I still didn't know that I want to become a meditation instructor. Although the practice has always been in my life, some form of a spiritual practice. It's always when did in you my start? Life. When was your first time that you have a spiritual practice? You mean? No, did you start meditating? Right. Oh yes. So when I was really really young, my family has um, um, this feng shui and uh, life pattern reading thing, like an. Uh, my ancestral, uh, the, the heritage thing. So um, I have some form of spiritual practice myself at home. And also we're Buddhist. So we kind of have a very simple practice as a child, but I never really consistently do anything with it. Like I do it from time to time. So it was around you and you kind of got yes. dragged into it, but you didn't really... Put, yes. Put all your weight into it. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. So until I grew up and then I just got uh, into a lot of um, blockages in my mind and and everything. So I decided to take a break. And after that break, I, I in during the break, I was trying to do some therapy, meditation and um, a lot of different things. I just gave myself some space for a year and to figure things out. And during that year, I found out that meditation really helped me a lot by coming back to um, myself. And and then I decided that I, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So I just want to try to take a deep dive into how to become a meditation instructor. Maybe I can use some of the skills in meditation to let people know you can get out of your own you know the rat race inside of our own head um and that's how i started to 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 try to do this now in, you said before you went mainland china was yes. it also running your own business or were you just part of something bigger or because it's a big step to start doing your own thing yes was that already did you have or did you do something similar before or was this the first time you said okay i'll go out on my own and you know it is the first time i'm going out on my own into this little adventure of myself it's not easy to start something new from scratch but i thought to myself that if you know we only live once and and it doesn't hurt to really try out something new so um i used to do more about uh fine arts I used to do antique restoration, um, antique um, um, uh, trading, like not the actual restoration, but uh, the trading part behind it, right? Or did you also restore? I also restore. That's pretty meditative in a way too, yes, right? You need yes. patience and yes, yes. Well, we can get into that a little bit of how it uh, it meant to me. Like now, it come back to a full circle. Um, I did a lot. Um, art related activities exhibitions because when I was in San Francisco I used to do um, antique and also contemporary art but contemporary Asian art and Asian antique Chinese antique in particular and um, I worked at um, Bonhams and Butterfield after I graduated from USF and then I uh, a few years later um, my parents wanted me to come back and I didn't really want to um, come back to Hong Kong 
so um, and my dad was working on the Olympics uh, opening at that time in Beijing. So he was like, "Why don't you come to Beijing and like you know take a master's or something?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, that sounds good. Like I don't need to stay home in Hong Kong." Then I directly went to Beijing, okay. uh, started my master's degree there for um, art administration kind of work or exhibition kind of management kind of work. Uh, at my master's. Um, and yeah, I, I used to do a lot of exhibitions, cultural related activities, antique trading, um, auctions and all that in China. And gradually it, I had a business that I partly partially owned. It was um, on wellness, actually. Uh, it was a wellness ahead of the time, no, for wellness back then? Yeah, it was quite some time ago. Um, we set up something uh, like a like a, a spot a wellness uh, place in China in Wudang Mountains okay so it's in Hubei and Wudang Mountains it's very famous for Taoist uh, traditions so for Tai Chi and you know all that um, philosophy Taoist philosophy and I was really into it at that time because I'm really interested in anything spirituality mm-hmm. so um yeah, I've worked on the project for a couple of years, but because of personal reasons and the, the the fact that I don't stay in China as much and it just didn't really work out for me. So I Was there attraction though on the like was it well received this idea of wellness because it's still a fairly nascent industry in yes, yes. in it, China, right? If yeah. it's associated with traditional influences, right? There seems to be so a bit of TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, yes. some as you see Tai Chi kind of you would think that it has more resonance, but then people just go to their chiropractor and <laughs> down the street they charge thirty RMB and that's it, right? So mm-hmm. it's it, how did you see that? Did it did it really is it picking up? Did it pick up back then, or what was the challenge around? I think people were generally quite interested in it because we were trying to do something more on the high end for the mainland um, crowd. And we had a partner at that time in China that they can uh, rally people to come over and and all that stuff. So it was, it was still okay. But the thing about it, it's it's just it it didn't work out for me because it's the the whole, uh, I can't say polit- not p- particularly p- political situation, but a lot of different things just happened and it just didn't really work out. And right. I wasn't there as much as I should have been, and it was. Uh, very early on that I, I was trying to do a business in yeah. China. And Running just, your own business takes a lot of dedication, right? Yes. You cannot... Yes, and in, 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 in the, the, the fact that I'm a woman in China talking to people, sometimes it's not as easy. Really? Yeah. Like, Mostly to men or to um, women or just in... I, mean, I think culturally, or, yeah. there is something that I don't really... Um, I'm, I, I, I'm not really get getting used to the whole cultural cultural thing. So it will be at that time I thought it would be better if I can have a partner that is like a man to deal with those people, you know. Okay. But now that I look at it, maybe I can, you know, step up a little bit for myself to to do the work, then it will be better. So that was an This experience. is more in a business sense or more in a wellness sense? In the business sense, yeah, business is rough, right? I mean, this is yes. <laughs> I understand, but in wellness, there's no no barriers in no, that way. No, in that no, sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, what was came first? The decision to do meditation came before you. It was really a decision to turn this into a business. It was um, 
it was a business idea first before it is meditation because at that time I was not so like I didn't really have a regular practice at that time. I was just really interested in the whole um the whole philosophy, the Taoist philosophy of wellness, and that's why I we were trying to invite the experts from Hong Kong to China and do like talks and um ex exchange like cultural exchange and everything um, at the spot at Udang Mountains at that time. So um, it wasn't fully about meditation, no, yeah, but after. After I ended the business thing there, I came back to Hong Kong and I had uh, I, almost like reintroducing meditation to my life through other ways. And I felt the connection, like why I want to do this. And if I want to try to make it into something that uh, like a business. Yeah. And that's how I landed up here. So what's the most rewarding you've experienced so far? How many how many students or attendees are you students I guess they are mm, and Yeah, because I it's I have private students right. like one-on-one -on -one students and I also have group classes and I do collaborate with different people in the wellness industry for projects or retreats and stuff like that. So it's really hard to say how many students. But on a regular on. basis do you have people that stick with you for you know, a couple of months and they hit this three months and their brain waves getting better is it do you see rewarding moments like that yeah um i think the the rewarding part is that when i work with schools and i work with kids and teenagers and when they really have some kind of challenge in in their stage of uh, growing up i can really try to be be there to share this ex uh, experience and these skills with them like uh almost like a tool that i can give it to them whenever they have this emotional distress they can try to use this tool to calm themselves down and you know to to settle down yourself first and to go back out again to make a new decision to uh to go on a new route again. so it helps with anxiety or anything like that yes and what age normally would you say because little kids are quite uh yes active right so yes. to sit them down for even two minutes might be a challenge where, where yes. do you feel is a good time a uh, good age to maybe look into this um the students that i have worked with it's as small as four years old yeah so from um four years old to primary school kids and then from primary school kids to secondary school kids to university to corporate people i do also have different classes for them but for kids it's mostly challenging because they can't really sit still yeah. so the portion of how much breathing practice and how much creative practice is very important for me balance to adjust it, it to yeah. balance it out and then um to structure a class so for kids it's very different than adults mm. okay now with the kids so you go into schools uh yes. do you go back to them or i mean is this something if you're Anybody's listening now say, oh, I have a class, would be great. Do you just go in for a half an hour or what's your normal routine around that? It's about an hour because what I do with my classes is a little different than, um, let's say you go to a yoga studio or meditation studio uh, for adults. It's like you're ha you are having a seated practice or some lying down practices. 
Um, but for kids or for adults, sometimes I will add the creative aspects in it because I'm, after all, I'm from an art background, a more creative background. So, and what does that include? Creative part. The creative part, I will see. I will adjust it according to the group that I will be teaching, like what they will be more familiar with, what will be more、uh, easier for the space to do. You know, all that、uh, will be in consideration.、Um, sometimes it's painting, sometimes it's writing, sometimes it is just、um, tea making or you know flower meditation. Anything can be meditation, or like we can have a walking meditation as well. So I, for my class, I want to. Include more about、uh, meditation in daily lives, what we can do in our daily lives, or something that is more creative than than just day to day things that we could do. Because then you see the full effect or the results or the impact, right, of、uh, meditation if it's done frequently. Yes, and also there is、um, I don't know if you are familiar with this idea of.、Um, Wabi sabi. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, but、uh, yes, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> so wabi sabi, it's like、um, really looking at the beauty of impermanence. So I think art or creativity for me, it's it stems out from impermanence. It's like how do we appreciate oddities or irregular things,、okay. um, or like when you're looking at nature, you see the four seasons and the times are changing, like the the times of the day, it's changing, and you can see different beauties in them. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's like how can we find that perfectly uh, imperfect, uh, imperfectly the perfect moment,、What? you know, in in daily lives and in things that we do. And in art, I think impermanence—it's like the energy、um, to fuel it. If you don't have that、uh, space or that irregular moments or unexpected moments, uncertainty, there can't be any kind of creativity. Because if everything—it's just a pattern running, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Yes, you're in control, but there's no, absolutely no creativity involved because you everything is so predictable. So, in terms of uncertainty times like this, a lot of people will be actually looking for、um, looking for a meditation practice or looking for some、uh, some tool to broaden their mental space. I think that's wonderful because when we are facing uncertainty, how can we、uh, make use of that space and to make something out of it with your creativity? It's it's what. Uh, mindfulness or meditation comes in now. In the times of COVID, obviously, there's a lot of anxiety and people、yes. feel certainly outside their comfort zone. And and is that something that you see more people respond to the concept of meditation? Or yes, I actually see that people are more、um, looking for a way out, as if like this is this is a very very.、Uh, Challenging times that we are we are going through, and I feel like a lot of people because of this challenge, it's very closed, and that's why a lot of people are trying to find a way out. And I think meditation can help. And you, I can really see that there are more people asking 
for, you know, classes or practices than say like two years ago or three years ago. Mm. And, and at what point do you see people sort of stop meditating regularly? I mean, obviously is has to do with discipline and yeah. committing to the routine we talked about earlier, but at what point do you, are most people sort of falling off or falling behind and they just don't, you know, they don't see results or is I think um, it's very normal to fall off the horse from time to time. Even as a meditation instructor, sometimes I just can't, um, if I'm very anxious or sometimes there is something happen and I can't really sit down, maybe all I can do is to watch Netflix for like the whole night and with a bag of chips, like, so cut yourself some slack. Like if you're really feeling that you can't do it, this can be a practice too. If you cannot do it, Just try to not let yourself meditate for, say, a week. Hmm. Whenever you want to meditate, stop yourself. Don't go meditate. Your practice is not to meditate. Wow, so the anti-meditation. Yes, and then you can really feel the difference. And when you can feel the difference, you can come. when you come back to it, you'll have a different perspective with the practice. And I think that really works like, you know, it. It's a weird practice, but I would suggest you to do it. If you feel like you're falling off the horse, don't do it. Be gentle with yourself. Cut yourself some slack and set a timeline. Three days, no meditation and see how you're feeling. It's like no candy, no chocolate for three days. <laughs> yes. See what happens. Yes. So uh, now we talk about COVID a little bit. Uh, can you do, you do giving your classes remotely? So you, you uh, Zoom or whatever you use. Is that, does that work for you? Um Yeah, so in the COVID, this this period, all the studios were closed, but now I gently try to open again. But there are still um, limitations in how many people that can join. And of course, this will have a certain kind of impact for physical classes. But I would say that it also opens up a lot of possibilities online. And I tried it on Zoom, um, tried it online, and I think it still worked. Because for maybe for yoga, it's there still a lot of people do like online yoga, online uh, Zumba class, you know, all that stuff. And it, it's still working. And I think for meditation, there's one thing that's good also. It's that you don't really have much um, movement. You're just sitting there to listen to my guidance. And in a way, wherever you are, we can still connect with each other and That is the magic of of it, I think. Okay. Yeah, that we can still connect online. Now, do you need to be a yoga? Usually, an instructor has a certain routine, I guess, they run through, like a choreographer, yes. like in a dance. How is it in meditation? Do you flow with your own energy? You go with your own flow and, and sort of the vibe you pick up from, from the group? Or do you know what you want to do before? Or how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you, Because you might get bored after a while doing this every day too, right? I mean, mm. I was a tour guide at one point and really? I started listening one and a half hours in the palace back home uh, three times a day. If you do that two days in a row, you, you have an out-of-body <laughs> experience. You see yourself sort of floating, you know, you feel like Casper the ghost. And mm-hmm. You see yourself walking right. mindlessly through the corridors and halls because yes. it just gets very repetitive. So how, yes. do, how do you do that for, for as a meditation instructor? I think the guided practice for me, it's very creative actually it's not that i'm creating a new practice but during i guide 
of course, there's a certain kind of structure and position. How do you sit? How do you do? How do you speak? Um, all those protocols that you're you have when you are instructing a person to meditate. But the when I am guiding a meditation, I can it life life sense like a life guided meditation. I can feel and I can see the people better. So I will be adjusting what I'm saying according to them. So they will feel that they will get the most out of the practice when they are practicing life with me. Say like their position, or maybe I will see that they are having difficulties. I can guide them verbally. And I don't know if it makes sense. I Sometimes I can feel whether or not um, that we are thinking or like we're we are connected at a certain point. I, I guess everyone has that. It's just whether or not you are sensitive towards that kind of sensation. Say, for example, if you're going to a um, hospital, you immediately feel the anxiousness of the people around you, the atmosphere, the lighting and everything. You just feel more anxious, right? It's like that kind of energy versus you're going to a church and you sit in uh, on a bench and maybe you'll feel calmer. Like that atmosphere, it's very different. So what I'm saying is that it, it's not very woo-woo. It's just that when I'm in the, on the spot guiding guiding a meditation, I can also sense the atmosphere of people, whether or not they're feeling agitated um, or, you know, not very calm. And how can I bring this energy back by sensing it? And then through my guidance, I will try to kind, kind of like bring them back to the to a rest and digest mode. Okay. Yes. And, and so you do one-on-one sessions as well, right? Yes. Is that more popular or is it still mostly the group sessions that you do? Uh... Um, I think there are similar because one-on-one, it really depends on the individual. There are a lot of actually teenage kids that are looking for one-on-one than really? uh, adults adults probably they will join like group classes they they can come and go you know they can drop in one day and then um after like a good foundation course they 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 will just pick and choose but for teenage kids or kids they need a certain kind of structure i think and a little bit more guidance in terms of how we can take this practice into our day-to-day life so they ask you for more guidance than just the meditation process itself. It's more how can they adapt their life to accommodate meditation? Is that it? Mm, uh, I will set up um, usually like a daily practice with them, help them to set it up and uh, for the routine. And also whenever they are encountering some difficulties like challenges in daily life say like with friends or at at school very stressful like how can we use the philosophy in meditation to apply to uh what they're facing and is that working like we will try it out together and explore together and i think because it works for me so i hope that it will work for them too so you're more like a passive counselor in a way you're not I mean, you're giving them a space to figure out what they need to figure out, basically. Yes, it's almost like art making. You don't really... Uh, art In art making, I would say for creativity, it's not like you teach them. Uh, it, it's very different from an art class. 
art class, you have a certain material, and they will t- teach you how to draw a figure, how how to do the proportion and everything. But for art making, creative process, I don't teach you all that stuff. I give you all the tools. Here are the tools, and what are you gonna make? You know, make out of it. You know, that's the freedom of it, the beauty of it. It's how you can really free your mind from these kind of structures and just to create. And you see the those teenage teenagers picking it up pretty pretty quickly. I mean, they yes. Are- I mean, I of course I'll give them a little bit of guidance, a little bit of tools, and and then you let them um, create with that tool and see what they will. How can they inspire themselves in? Oh, I actually can do it this way, you know that sort of. And way. what's the background? They're typically Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong kids, teenagers, or mm-hmm. they're from also overseas, or where do you currently? Mm, actually, right now there are a lot of international school students, and um, maybe because at school they do have mindfulness class as well, so they would want a little bit more of like. Deep diving into the practice as well as how I can um, bring it into my life. Um, personally, I think the younger generation are so much more um, uh, into wellness than, really? say, older generation. Or oh, they're just more open-minded in general. Yeah, right? yes, yes. They're so much more open-minded and they're willing to try, willing to um, really be inspired and evolve with the practice and. I think that's a, a beautiful, wonderful thing to see a collective consciously, you know, changing. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we talked about the, uh, you know, setting up the business or part of it. Once you said, okay, I want to be a meditation instructor. Mm-hmm. How did you get the word out? Did you, was it friends and family? Did you... Uh, run big ads on you know the tv or i mean how how do you decide where do you how do you get traction and i'm sure there's other people that are meditation instructors already right you're not the first one mm-hmm. um some I, I believe in hotels now and spa settings right they do class yes meditation classes as well yes so where do you where do you start out i mean this is a unique path right yes honestly i didn't really do much ads um i started it as uh with a thing in mind that if i'm aligned with my purpose of what i'm doing then the words will will kind of spread and so i didn't really intentionally do much marketing but um i was very lucky that when i just got started i tried to do a lot of charity work just to get uh, myself more experience and like hands-on experience to deal with people um and i tried different populations i tried kids i tried older people uh, uh senior citizens um and uh adults uh also special need, needs kids so I got myself involved into different kinds of charity work. And I also work with my sister, who is an art therapist. And so I helped her out in some of the things and try to see if that's something for me to do, like something that I would be interested to do for a longer time. And um, 
I really like it. And after that, I got an opportunity to work with the Miss Hong Kong Association in Hong Kong to do a, a year-long sharing with them to visit different seniors' home in Hong Kong and to teach them meditation. And also, I was working also with my sister. She was doing art therapy. Um, and we were also working with uh, a psychologist and he would tell the senior citizens and the Miss Hong Kong like, oh, this is like when you are feeling anxious, what should you eat? You should eat bananas, you know, like something <laughs> like that. And I've learned a lot. And during that process, I think um, I start to get to know a little bit more different kind of people. And so some of them will be like, oh, we are in this old people's senior citizens home um, and our social worker really needs some uh, tools to relax can you ha come help us um, like is there any trainings and and then from then on a little bit by little bit and the words gone out and um, and then I started to teach different populations and people and there will be um, tv shows or radio that oh, will okay. be the local ones that yeah. will be um, start to interview me a little bit and um, and then I started sharing. In fact, right now I still have a monthly show on RTHK. Every month I would talk about mindful living. Like when is that? Every Monday? Every uh, last Wednesday of the month. What time? It, 11 to 12, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Great. So this is um, still keeps going, but I'm curious. You said you work with different charities. How was that between the kids and the special needs and the elderly? It's very different. I'm sure, yeah. Yes. So it's very different, yet it is very similar because how big are the groups in general? You kept some ten people or thirty oh, or the five or groups varies a lot. So for the seniors home it might be like thirty, fifty people. And for kids it's less. Uh, maybe ten, twenty, that's less. But they have to have like um, teachers around so they can also assist for you know, for them. Mm. Mm. And then uh, the res what's the response? Because you said you want to sync up with the, with your students, right? Mm. Is that easier to do with certain different age groups, or where did you find the most uh, resonance, sort of, or most receptiveness when you did that? Mm. I think it really depends on how I structure the class. So for kids, they will be. For breathing practice for kids, they probably can do what a minute or so. And that's already very good. So I will separate into like one minute here, one minute there, one minute there. And in between, we'll have some like game time. The some creative of the, parts. Yeah, right? creative yeah. parts. And um, they have fun. And when they are having fun, they can feel it. They will be more engaged in doing more. So the kids are... Like a reward to the... More like a reward program that gives you back, you know, so mm -hmm. that you have positive feelings, right? And then yes. you go back into the meditation part, right? Yes. So I think kids are harder. It, it takes more energy to really um, keep up with them. Um, and I would say for adults or for teenage parts or university students, it would be a little, not that it's easier, but then it's 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 easier to get into the practice and really to dig deeper into the whole philosophy of it because they can understand a little bit more and 
yeah, and I can really talk to them, and they can ask questions about the practice or how to apply. Right. Do you have a lot of students that come back and say like, "Wow, this was great. Thank you so much. You know, you I really it helped me become a better person or be yes. more balanced." Yeah. Yes, I think that is what that keeps me going because I can get the good feedback that I know that I am doing something that is helpful for people. And that's what keeps me doing it. Absolutely. So, where, where, what's your plans? Where do you go from here? You have you said you're on TV, you're on radio. Yes. What's next? Um, I mean, that's just that. That's not like I am really big or anything. It's just it happened that I did have some of the interviews and some of the attention. Um. But there are still a lot of, you know, different teachers that are very experienced and I, I, I just happen to be one that that is sharing. I think the next thing, honestly, I don't really know. But what I am planning to do is make use of the online platform a little bit more so I can develop like a real um, community with the the things that I'm sharing and see how I can develop the online platform into a, a business on its own and to also can make an impact in the society or you know even to the world I hope <laughs> so right now you're focused in Hong Kong right are you or you already have students uh, outside of Hong Kong I do have uh, mostly physical classes um, in, Hong in Hong Kong and I just started um to collaborate with an agent and they are doing international classes so um, it's quite interesting it's called switch co uh, switch co switch and co they what they do it's that um, they have corporate clients and also they are offering the class to the corporate clients like the corporates are not just offering the classes for the employees as a benefit, especially in this COVID situation. But they are trying right now as of last week, they just try to promote it to the client's clients. And yeah. like as a benefit of if you are using our product, you can have get an access on this platform to have this meditation classes. And uh, for last week's class, it had a spike of like, there are so much, like many people joining from all around the world, like from Malaysia, from India, from Singapore, from, from everywhere. And at the same time, we're doing it live in wow. Hong Kong. And so I will, I can get to connect with them and then they will ask me questions as well after the like a little bit not right. long time and the practice it's very short it's it's relatively short it's like a half a, half an hour thing um but is that scary i mean you all of a sudden you have like all these people from all of the world <laughs> it's uh exciting i hmm. think because um i think it's uh, there's a good thing about guiding in english is that i can reach to more population but at the same time i do start to share a little bit more in Cantonese because um, I think our local community, it's not like the expat communities. They don't have the access to wellness as much. And I think there is a need to have a Cantonese speaking person to share the message so they can 
have the chance to really uh, to get access to that. I mean, honestly, meditation it's like an ancient Eastern philosophy as well, like from India and then from China, from Japan. There are like a lot of Zen meditation, but in Hong Kong, surprisingly, not a lot of local people will really do the practice. So you're saying that most of the media, uh, sorry, meditation instruction comes out of the expat community and it yes. caters to them as well, rather yes. than having yes, in like a how do you say a, a, a homegrown, but a mm-hmm. you know your own practice uh, tradition, so to mm. speak, in in Hong Kong. Yes, that's my observation. And is that because it's not supported by the? I don't know, not insurance, but I mean, is it a structural problem or is it more of a cultural problem? I think it's a cultural problem. And historically in Hong Kong, it's like a place that East meets West. And a lot of people used to, um, they will they will focus more on the Western culture before. So whatever that is like spiritual, like Buddhism or like Taoism or like so old-fashioned i don't want to do that and so not a lot of people will go to the monastery to learn it and not a lot of monastery will offer these kind of courses like now now we do have a lot more but Mm. before when was the change you would say i think um two or three years ago only so recently yes or even in past 10 years there's they start to do a little bit more um work in meditation and teaching meditation as this year it's the 75 75th anniversary of the hong kong buddhist association and i I, i'm very honored to have to be invited for an interview for their special program on rthk as well and um and that from from that program i learned that in as of this year they just started to um build meditation rooms in all of the schools, all of the Buddhist schools in Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah, which is, I think it's a big thing for yeah. them to start to really promote meditation. Um, was there any of the monasteries that was doing better in the past or they have they, had a longer tradition already or they were all sort of not really focused about it? Honestly, I didn't go to a Buddhist school, but I went to a Christian school. But for, from what I heard, it's that lately, um, this late, this one year or so, they start to really push this for kids. So before, it's more like they will pray or, you know, that's what I heard. I don't know. Mm. I, I was never in the, the Buddha school. But um, now they're trying to implement it more into the school life because it's like a great emotional tool. Like if you can give a thing, f- like a gift for your child, I would say like give them an experience, a tool, a skill that, that can help them um, with their lives, you know, that's when right. they grow up. Entrepreneurs in the experience economy, that's what it's all about. So in, when you look to align yourself with other, you mentioned art therapy was one. So where else can you sort of, do you find synergies when, or, or something that, you know, you would think collaboration could be, uh, have meaningful outcomes uh, or you think it's mostly a standalone Um, that's the beauty of creativity why i love creativity it's that um in my sessions i have creative sessions so it doesn't have to be just a seated practice how do we bring the practice into our daily lives it's the main thing that i want to introduce and so say for example i work with this um uh um 
a perfume company, let's say. So how do we bring in mindful smelling, mindful tasting, mindful mixing of of different what scents? Does that, what does that mean, mindful tasting? <laughs> mindful tasting. So anything can be mindful. Mindfulness is that how you can bring your body, mind, and your breath into this particular moment. So that it's is, different from meditation, right? Or it's mm, related? It is in meditation. One of the th things in meditations that we are training, it's mindfulness. And the other, but that is only 50% of meditation. The okay. other 50%, it's about awareness. So in mindfulness, I'm sure a lot of people are more familiar with the idea because you have mindful eating, you have mindful a lot of different things, even the vegetarian, vegan food, you have like mindful burgers you know? yeah. yeah it's it's quite uh, amazing that the idea it's so celebrated now and but what does it mean really i mean let's break it down mindful is just to pay attention to what you do to to intentionally bring your attention back to the present moment with your senses your your thoughts and your mind your emotions and you know all that feelings and that is what mindfulness is about so say for example we're doing a mindful Drinking water. So you hold up your water. All right. Let's do and that. yeah, let's do it. And it's say like you you, you just had uh, a uh, disagreement with your colleague and you're in the middle of it and you really need to calm down. You go to your pantry, get a glass of water, take the glass into your palms and just feel the glass with your the, the middle of your palm and all the senses. And whenever your mind starts to be consumed by something else, by the thought, by the sound, by distraction, by noise, bring your attention back to feeling your glass. Just simply bring it back, bring your attention back. And then you can start look at your, your, the color of your water or, you know, the transparency and what does it look like? What is the texture like? Just open your senses without any judgments. And then you can start to taste your water, like you can smell it or you can, you know, start to taste it as if you're tasting wine. Let it swirl around in your mouth for a little bit and just to taste the taste of water. How does it taste like? What does it taste like? What is the texture like? And then as you're drinking, you might be listening to some of the sounds that your body is making while you are drinking the water. Bring your attention back to that senses the, that you're listening, you're tasting, you're seeing, and everything. So it's all through the five senses, mm. we are trying to um, enjoy a glass of water. And as you are doing this, you are actually substituting the discursive mind with this whole experience here. And if you're doing it for like five minutes or like two minutes or so, you might find yourself a little calmer. And then you can come back to the situation and being aware of what you can choose differently. Maybe before the water water break, you want to slap someone across their face or I don't know, like some kind of impulse, like if you're angry or, you know, or you want to yell something that you might regret possibly at a person. You know, those impulse, how can we add space between our awareness and emotion more when we have more space well we do uh between um um the reaction the the more space you have the the clearer you can see and we can only tame whatever we can see 
if we don't have space between ourselves and the emotion, it will be like you're just holding that emotion so close to your eyes that you will be like totally blind and consumed by it. So what we want to do is to have space, so you can when you can see it, you can tame it. Or have a different or bigger perspective, right? To to evaluate and understand yes. what's going on. Okay, good water, by the way. <laughs> So mindfulness can be anything, right? You, mm-hmm. you can uh, apply that to to any activity that exactly. you engage in. What does that do to uh, a group, or you know, what does what, what was that do to society? Let's say everybody's mindful. What what comes out of it? There's less conflict. We're just everybody is happier. What's the what's the upside of being mindful? I would say meditation. It's not just for an individual not just for you to have more clarity in your mind. But when you are, you have more clarity, you have more space between yourself and the impulse uh, for the reaction, responding instead of reacting, then your, your, um, your relationship with yourself will be more different, will be more gentle, will be more forgiving, will have more love. And so if you have more love, you are more nourished inside, you can interact with other people and the world around you with more love and conscious, uh, consciously. So I think, so for meditation, I wouldn't say that it's just for a single person, but with the meditation practice that you have, you will you will gradually spread that good energy so-called to the people around you and when you're, the people around you feel better they will treat other people better as well so it's like it will has its, its impact um through the community gradually but surely okay yeah. and, and so this energy is that something you focus on a lot or is that just sort of the the outcome the byproduct mm, i would say the energy it's just a word that i am using in in this sense but it's more like the interaction you have with yourself and the interaction with you and the other people when it, it it's improved then it will just like resonate like um rippling out right good um, vibrations people. yes vibrations yes <laughs> okay so um you've been doing this now for two years did more mm, three 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 or so, three, three years, three, three years. years. Okay, yeah. and um, people can find you on your website, right? Mm-hmm. Bernalee.com, One word, double e. B e r n a, l e e. One word. Yes, dot com. Dot com. Okay. Yeah. And uh, on the radio show, we heard right. Yes. Um, every Wednesday, last Wednesday of the month. Yes. Okay, RTHK. Great. This is this is probably. What I found out during the 75th anniversary of the Hong Kong Buddhist Association, like why did I start it? Why was I so interested in spiritual practices of different kinds? Because it's not just um, Buddhism that I do practice. I do um, learn in different traditions to see how I can teach people about differently according to what they need. And... That is because I think when I was younger, my grandfather was, um, mm, it's not that it's his profession, but he's very well known for doing feng shui and live pattern reading. So a lot of people who look for his help are like every time people went to him was about 
um, some some kind of suffering, like whether it's like a life or death situation, or yeah. like or like um, a baby is born and they need a new name, or like a company just formed and they need a new name, or you know which day it's good for a wedding, for funeral, for you know all that stuff, and what am I? Uh, what kind of destiny that I do have. Um, so from that, I found that because a lot of people has a lot of different kind of problems and I felt very strongly that I want to find different ways if I could get out of these kind of cycles, these kind of patterns. So what I'm doing now, it's essentially trying to apply and to help people with creativity, how to create their own destiny, not being thinking that I am, I have always been like this. My personality is like this, and I cannot change. So break out of their yes, shell and sort yes, of free yes. themselves, right? Yes, to mm. free themselves to have more life, more freedom, more creativity in their own lives, and so that, that's what I do. Why I want to bring meditation with um, into our daily lives. It's not just uh, because you can practice with more calmness, but also how to change your own life stories. If you and you mentioned to. you looked at different styles of meditation, right? The Buddhist way, or where do you see um, one working different than the other? I mean, the Zen Buddhism does some meditation work, right? Yes. Um, I guess Hinduism is meditation as well, out of the mm. Ayurvedic side. So. Is there a huge difference or you say, say, do whatever works for you? Or, I mean, is it just they're embedded into a bigger philosophy that, that drives sort of the way they approach it? Mm, I think to read into different philosophy, it's really for my own um, way of understanding different religions and different practices, different traditions. And essentially, there's not much different as difference as long as it fulfills two very major things it's first of all it's to know that everything is impermanence so the practice will have to like acknowledge this certain point impermanence and and then the second thing is that the practice it's not uh favoring the ego um so it's about awareness it's not about the ego like you're not worshiping a particular person or you know uh, or towards a certain thing that people are trying to get to then that's a practice that i share and but usually i what i share it's non-religious when i teach i teach about breathing breathing techniques and ways and then when i get a little deeper into the philosophy i can talk more about impermanence and um and ego is that a touchy subject the impermanence the people sort of Mm, i think impermanence a lot of people will uh, I think personally, I resonate with it, so I will share about this. But of course, not all instructor will touch on the subject. Well, uh, talk more about your students, right? I mean, how do they receive that when you talk about? Well, eventually, we're all gonna die. They're like, they freeze up, or you know, it takes some. You need to warm them up to the idea to talk about it, or I mean, mm, I think impermanence is not just about dying. Well, it's that's a, the it's extreme like, case, right? I mean, yes, <laughs> it's about dying of a cycle. Right. Right. If we're talking about in Kabbalah, you you have this connection day. It's called death of death. It's like that the death of the death. It's life. So 
how can we look at life differently with death and impermanence that it could be something ending could be something else beginning and how do we grasp that moment and at that particular present moment you can pick and choose the way that you want to go the direction that you want to go and I think people are receptive with the idea when I explain it to them that it's about creativity it's not about just dying the end of story you know (laughs) well as some people I guess have fears or you know yes 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 I think dying life and death it's another big topic what I do touch on um, say like a general class would be more on the impermanence in life like uncertainty moments uncertainty times like this and um, how do we get more creativity at work so you break it um, down into easier yes, approachable yes, yes. Uh, yes. periods right time periods yeah okay. yes yes okay mm. um, I had another question that I forgot it's about uh, what did you talk about about uh, oh yeah the ego part right so we talked about um impermanence and then yes. how do you go about it with the awareness part so awareness i would i was just um reading about a book from by Eckhart Tolle he's a um, such a great uh spiritual teacher that i love his book Eckhart Tolle he's Eckhart Tolle he's well, german oh okay yes but he's <laughs> yes he's german but he studied in the uk at Oxford, I think, and I he dropped, yeah, and then he dropped out, um, and to do his own thing, um, of research and spirituality, and he became really big when he got, uh, interviewed by Oprah, and mm. then they had, they had series of classes and, and books and everything, and his book called The New Earth, it's really good. I think I've read it for like ten times. Wow. At least it's and a big book, or like is, you read it like 100 pages, 200. I mean, is it easy read? It's an easy read, okay. it's an easy read, but to understand it, it takes time and it takes like multiple times of reading it. But what I've learned from him it's that awareness, it's um, I remember he described it as you know, Descartes, right? The philosophy said, I think, therefore, I am. So when you're thinking, you are, Descartes think that when you are thinking, you know that that's you. But what Eckhart Tolle, it's, it's describing or explaining what awareness is. It's that you are not your thoughts. So it, it is not exactly, I think, therefore I am. It is the awareness be, behind the thinking. So the subconscious part. Kind of, but it's more like the awareness that you, you know that you are thinking. The, the person who is looking at the person that's thinking, it's you. The person who is looking is you. You are what, who you are looking for. Mm-hmm. And what awareness is, it's about the space beyond thoughts. It's not you're looking at your thoughts. You're looking at the space beyond it. Okay. So what and happens there? I think at that area, it's so spacious that it's where all the inspirations is coming from. And all those ideas are coming from because at that space, it's so fast that you don't feel so constricted anymore because whoever, like if you're depressed or you're anxious, you are essentially just thinking 
from that particular circle, from that thought, all of so-called like creativity. You, yeah, it yeah. just happened here. But what we want to do in meditation is to see beyond this thought. It's here, all mm. these areas. And this is our awareness. And we want to be able to come back to this space constantly. And when you are more um, familiar with it, then you'll be calmer, you'll have more creativity, and you you can just, you, you have much more to work around with than just this little circle. Absolutely, yeah. It's mm. just difficult to see for some people, right? I mean, it's easy it to talk about. It is. But if you're it in depressed, practice. obviously, is that something you deal with as well, depressed people? Or, I mean, is that a therapy for depression to do meditation? Or is it a bit too, well, complex or too, you know? above where you want not where you want to go let's put it this way i think it depends on the uh situation if the depression is very serious sometimes they do need some more attention to a therapist a psycho psychoanalyst psychologist to deal with the whole situation and i would say that meditation it's more like it's good for anyone who has um, depression or anxiety but it really depends on the level of, of that mm. um so I would say meditation, it's like a kind of supplement that you take it each and every day. So you can maintain a certain kind of immune system of your um, um, mental health mm. and therapy and psych psycholo psychology. It, they are also very important. And but it's it's more like they're they are like the medical doctor that when you need to take important measures with, with it or like a more serious kind of maintenance than you go to them and other times when you are you know day to day you take your supplement you take your vitamins and meditation it's like your vitamins that you need to take to maintain that level of you know come back to the baseline of your stress level not all the time on that you know fight or flight 24 7 right. then you get really really stressed out okay mm. great all right. Um, well, thanks so much, Berna. This Thank was you, great. Dan. Great to learn more about meditation, right? I think it's definitely uh, underappreciated by many, mm. and it can uh, be a good uh, practice or root part of a routine to yes. uh, have a more balanced and more healthy life. Definitely. Right. Yes. All right. So thank you, Berna. Thank you, Dan. Right. Thank you. See you again. All right. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions or comments, Please don't hesitate to get on our website, drop us an email, find us on social media, Instagram, anywhere you can find. We'd love to hear from you. So go to our website, made-in.asia, or find us on Instagram or our YouTube channel. Thanks for following.